Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. Such sights to show you. Strange Eons. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric over there. Hey, hello. That's Vanessa over there. Hey. I am Kelly. Hey, Eric. Yes. You (laughs) shared with (laughs) Vanessa and I this week. A really interesting response from a filmmaker who didn't get his film shown at the, or didn't get picked for the Crypticon so Film classy. Festival. So oh, What man. a stand-up just, guy. It's beautiful. And, and it, I wanted you to just, I wanted you to print it. I wanted to actually screenshot it and just post it. And, and you were like, no, 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 no. We can't, uh, we can't attack this guy and everything. But yep. there's, <laughs> there's certain things you should and shouldn't do. Why don't we talk a little bit about Film festival sure. etiquette. If you if you get <laughs> yeah. a uh, rejection notice, what shouldn't you say? And I'm asking you to would, read from that letter. <laughs> okay, shall I? I'll just dive right in then. I'm going to I'm going to start this with a, a little note. I'm not going to name the, this guy, and I'm not going to name his movie. But I promise you, if what he says happens to this film, I will. However long it takes, if it's six months, a year, whatever, when this film hits that level, I will come on this show and I will apologize to him. I'll name him. I'll tell I tell you all I'm a goddamn idiot and know nothing about film. Because if this film becomes a huge hit, I obviously know nothing. <laughs> now, now, this is a film that was submitted to the Crypticon Film Festival yes. and it was rejected. Yes. All righty. Uh, I just got your email about me not making your film festival. And I have one response, colon. <laughs> it's fucking horseshit. I was going to go bring an entire crowd of people to your festival, but no, I guarantee you, you will show some completely shitty films there where the filmmakers won't even show up hardly to see their own film, but they get shown. Cause why they know someone that works at your festival. That is it period, which is utter bullshit. Uh, blank would destroy almost every film at your festival and I don't happen to know anyone that works your festival, so I doubt you even fucking watched it, which I did. <laughs> Never forget this email as when, here's, here's the thing. If this happens, I will come back and apologize profusely. Is the biggest fucking horror film in America this year. Just remember, you passed it over for some shitty ass film because he's a buddy of yours. Great fucking decision. Good luck with that. So fuck you. Fuck your dumbass festival. And you fucking regret the day you passed over. I can guarantee, all caps, you that. So <laughs> uh, let me ask you a question, Eric. <laughs> of the films that were chosen for the film festival, how many of them were made by filmmakers you know? Well, there's the Northwest series we do where we present local Northwest filmmakers, and that's been going on for about six years. So there's some that I know uh, through that, but I blind pick the movies. Okay, let me go through our process here. We've got a variety of filmmaker, film reviewers. Anywhere, every movie gets viewed by at least two times. And I watch every one of them. And then somebody else will watch every one of them. And usually we have, on average, we have three to four reviews of almost every movie. And then we, I go through and I take all of the films. I take the eight by eight, one to 10 rating. And I put that on a spreadsheet. It's just the, the film festival number, the film festival title, and it's rating. 
I don't see the filmmakers' names. I don't see where they're from. And I find all those highest rated ones. I pick those out. I put them down. Sometimes I have to go back and maybe adjust one of them. Like uh, our good buddies, um, short film, he, the, the hardcore sci-fi film, he submitted it to Crypticon. And it actually got a really good rating. I'm going, you know what? This is sci-fi, dude. I'm not going to show it just because you're a friend. And because it's, and I'm not going to show it because it's a sci-fi movie that absolutely doesn't fit Crypticon. But, you know, if it was still Miff, fuck yeah, that'd be shown <laughs> without a doubt. But I didn't realize that until I'd actually already processed through. And then I was going back and double checking going, oh, I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> and I, I contacted him directly and said, I'm sorry, man, your movie's not going to show. He's like, yeah, I kind of figured it wasn't going <laughs> to. But so I don't know most of the time through just like any film festival, if there's a situation like hey, I've got this stars in the movie. They're going to come and they'll talk about it. There are films that are get shown that maybe wouldn't get shown because of that. But it's not, it's not my buddies. I don't put this film festival together to promote my buddies per se, unless they do a good movie. Right. It's got to be something yeah. worth showing. And uh, I've annoyed people in the past through that, especially some of the Northwest filmmakers. And fun fact, by the way, um, I can speak about this from personal experience. So I mm. met Eric because nope. you accepted one of my films before we knew each other into yeah. a fest. And then we didn't meet again for like five years. Yeah. Um, and you did not accept my second film <laughs> for a different fest. Um, and you did know me. So you know what, guys? <laughs> and you know what? It's fine. I was not yeah, even remotely hurt because it was a science fiction film. Yeah. So... I had, yeah. before this one showed up, I had three people send an email going, hey man, I'm sorry, we're not showing. Thanks for checking out my movie. Yeah. I mean, next time. And I replied to all of them. This guy I just ignored. Yeah. And with Krypton, I don't lie to the filmmakers. I've had filmmakers who say, hey, I'd love to attend. Mm -hmm. But like this one guy got his film in, I think he's in Lebanon. He's like, well, I plan on attending. I'm like, holy shit. Okay. Let me lay this out for you first. This yeah. is not a theater film festival. We would love to have you come because that'd be cool. But this is a part of a convention. We're in a hotel. We're screaming in a we're screening in a a room that a lot of people come in and out of. It's a convention world. Right. You know, I make no bones about that. There are pictures on the film freeway about it and stuff. I'm not hiding from it. I'm proud of the movies we pick and show. Yeah. But I don't want a filmmaker walking in and going, well, Why did I just Because I've had that happen, right? <laughs> well, we've done that. Yeah, where I showed up at a film festival going, huh? All right. But um so, yeah, you, I, I, I've got no ego about this festival. It is for the filmmakers, as far as I'm concerned, because there's, no, there's nothing but the camaraderie of coming to a convention, which is different than coming to a festival in a yeah. theater. So, anyways, yeah, don't send letters like that. <laughs> no, it's so crazy. It's so crazy to, to react like that. You're not going to last in the film world at all. If that is your attitude, if every time it doesn't go your way, you blow the hell up, like you have to be really famous and really important to get away with that kind of attitude. And buddy, you're not. Yeah. And even now you get a hard time getting away and with even that now, attitude. yeah, less and less <laughs> if so. If you're smacking people on stage at the Oscars or something, you can even get yourself in trouble. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> I saw that he got uh, banned for 10 years from... Uh, 
a show I haven't watched for two years. And I was yeah. like, is this punishment? Because he can still get awards. He just can't be there to get them. Yeah, just doesn't have to deal with the bullshit that the rest of us do. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, let me think. What do I want to talk about? I want to talk about uh, Taylor Hawkins passed away, the drummer yeah. of Foo Fighters, and it's that was really, a real bummer. Really upsetting. Um, I went then and rented Studio 666, which was the Foo Fighters horror film that just yeah. came out. Uh, it is silly and stupid and a lot of fun. And it was a little bittersweet because Taylor Hawkins is actually pretty good in it, too. And you're just like, oh, man, what a waste. Mm -hmm. It just seemed like they were having a shit ton of fun making this movie. The gore is ridiculously over the top. They're playing themselves. <laughs> and I was like, this is, you know, this is something that just doesn't happen anymore. This is, uh, this is kiss meets the Phantom of the park, you know, done on a budget or something. It's, oh, it's, wow. it's ridiculous. They're all playing themselves. Um, and Dave Grohl is playing himself as just this egotistical asshole. It's very, very funny. And everybody in the band is a little scared of him. <laughs> and I just, I just had a really good time with it. And, uh, and I'm really sad to see that uh, Taylor had passed away at such a young age. Yeah. He was, yeah, that was pretty bad. He was incredible. I, I was a huge fan of Foo Fighters um, growing up. And I had I, that was the last concert I went to, actually, was a Foo Fighters concert with my friend. And uh, they you know had Taylor Hawkins front and center, and they lifted him up on a little pedestal partway in, and he was playing the drums like with no barriers, like 50, 100 feet up in the yeah. air. <laughs> like, ah, Jesus. Um, so I, yeah, I'm glad you checked that out and can't wait to see it myself. So there's a film that I saw and haven't had the opportunity to talk about yet because we haven't had a normal show in, uh, we, we didn't have a normal show for a little while. And there were a few other things that came up that I wanted to talk about first, but have either of you managed to see the film X? No, I still haven't seen it yet. Okay. Well, I won't spoil anything. Um, it was pretty solid. Pretty, pretty decent. Um, I'm not huge into torture porn, and I wouldn't say that this is torture porn. There's a lot of um, very tropey horror stuff going on in it, and I think it's very much on purpose because yeah. it's making fun of that sort of 70s exploitation, um, sex meets gore, uh, small farmhouse, middle of nowhere, no budget film. But it did do something that completely shocked me, which made it a very very interesting film where it it really dives into ageism and that i did not expect there's just a lot I, i'll be excited when you guys do finally check it out to to talk further but um the the villains of the the villain of the piece is an elderly person and there's a lot of discussion about how people are treating her and reacting to her which I just was pretty surprised by. So, oh, well, this sounds like a definite recommend then from you. I would, yeah, I think it's worth checking out. Um, it, it definitely wasn't like my favorite personal film, but I think it it made me think a lot more than I had any hopes or dreams that it would. I was like, wow, this is. I'm still thinking He's, about this film. I'm still processing it. Well, that's cool. Ty Weston kind of hit or miss for me. It's like yeah. his homages sometimes feel like, well, is that really what you're doing homage to? You seem more like you're doing an homage to this 
right. calling it this, but this sounds like it hits. The... It hits a pretty good chord. It, it feels like there, there's a lot that's happening correctly in this. And I know that there is going to be um, his next film that'll be coming out probably not too far from now uh, will be fucking nuts. And you have to see this to see that. So he's a filmmaker that I, he's got an interesting problem. I think most people don't know how to end a film. And uh, I always find his films to be just absolutely boring until the third act when <laughs> everything goes nice. insane. And yeah. then you're like, ah, that was not too bad. This has some interesting like setup along the way that I feel like he's learning. Like I didn't enjoy Innkeepers at all. And yeah. Yeah. was the uh, house, uh, house of the Devil. House of the Devil. I, I definitely had that issue where it was kind of like interesting-ish, but not really and kind of boring. And then it was like, whoa, what is going on right now? <laughs> and it's done. <laughs> yeah, and it's over. Um, this, I think he, he does some pretty interesting setup stuff along the way that, um, yeah, it's, it makes you think a little more. Cool. That's still in theaters, right? It is still in yeah. theaters. Well, fascinating. <laughs> hey. We talked a little bit about this off, so I don't feel like bringing up Moonfall again, <laughs> but so I'll talk about another return to the past I did with, uh, Dina. It's like, I want to watch these ones. Like, okay. Uh, pump up the volume. Hmm. Still a fun, radio. Yeah, still a fun film, but under the world of what we're doing, becomes very different to watch, where the idea is, well, here's this one guy out here taking over the radio airwaves to talk hard, and nobody else is doing it. They're all just listening to him. I mean, it goes away from that by the end, of course, but right now, we're kind of the other way around. Yeah. It's like we're everybody's talking and maybe right. a few less of us should be. Not us, of course. <laughs> no, not us. We, we, we're good. We're great. I remember hearing that this had like a really troubled um, rights issue. So how did you watch this? Uh, it was streaming on something. It, it was is? A, a oh. rental, but it, 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 it seemed to have, mo it's usually music right. whenever it's a rights problem. And it, see, it had all the m songs that you definitely remember. Okay. His theme song when he started up, he played the same song every time, and the, and that. But it did. There was two or three songs. I'm going. This is the same one, huh. you know. But the ones they really needed to have, like "I'm in Jail," where he's specifically dancing to that song. Right. They had all of those. Hmm. I would but, like to check that out again. Yeah, it's still fun. And Christian Slater, when he was doing what he was doing, he was a lot of fun on screen. Uh, I'm going to bring up then something that I'm surprised we haven't talked about. Mm. It came out on Netflix as a uh, Netflix movie, a original. Mm. And that was The Adam Project, Ryan Reynolds' movie. I keep meaning to watch that and just <sighs> keep Same. Don't. I have not yet You guys, it. it is so good. Really? Oh, great. It's, it's really good. Uh, I got teary-eyed in Aww. two spots. Oh, wow. nice. So I really liked it. I thought it was very funny, uh, touching... Um, I, you know, the effects were great and everything. This would have been a great theater watch mm. and, uh, directed by the guy who's going to be doing the next, uh, Deadpool movie. Oh, so nice. it's, and it's Ryan Reynolds partner. I can't remember his name now. Oh, sure. But, uh, I just had a, a blast with it. I thought for sure you guys would be all over that. Um, I was really, really excited. And then, um, other people around me were not as excited to see it. So I kept backburnering it and now I'm going to have to watch it by myself. I Push think. him into it. It's, <laughs> I think Ryan Reynolds has done kind of like, you know, years ago, Tom Cruise did. It's like, this is my role. This is what I do. 
Yeah. Right. And he does it really well. And really he knows well. how to pick the projects now to fit this area of Orion Reynolds. So that sounds like he's continuing that. <laughs> yeah. He's literally just playing Deadpool in every movie now and mm-hmm. he's figured that out and everything. I got to say, uh, you know, I don't know how old this guy is now. 40, maybe, maybe in his 40s. Yeah. He is one handsome slab of meat. <laughs> yeah. Maintained. It's true. It's true. It's so funny how we all, well, a lot of people wrote him off at one point as just like, oh, the dumb guy in the teen movies yeah. and yeah. the stupid romance comedy is not even very good. And now we're all like, wait a minute. Yeah. Well, like I said before, Reynolds. Buried was the movie that turned me around on him. I'm going, Holy shit. And he is not a Ryan Reynolds character in that. He is actually acting and he's really good. There, I mean, the whole point is that he uh, he time travels back and meets his younger self. Oh, it's, it's a sci-fi thing. The kid they've got playing the young him is so perfect. I'm just like, wow, this kid has his timing down perfectly. Oh, wow. But the uh, the best part is he's a little shrimp and everything. And when he figures out that he grows up into Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> he's just thrilled, you know, because he's, <laughs> he's beaten up all the time and everything. And, and at one point, uh, he gets angry for his older self not helping him in a fight. And he goes, "Hey, do you know how you grow up to look like this? Because you get yourself kicked, you know, you know, the shit kicked out of you <laughs> constantly, and you finally decide you have to do something about it. I'm not going to stop that from happening." And, I was like, yeah, that is how we, uh, that is how we grow. That is how we level up. (laughs) Very cool. Um, well, I, I just this week saw another movie that was kind of a huge surprise to me. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, I want to see this. I've heard so many good things about this. Fuck. Fuck. It's so good. It's so good. Um, everyone in it is incredible. The editing in this is I would die. Like it was one dude and I don't know like how you would edit this movie in under 10 years. <laughs> I don't know how he did it unless he just didn't sleep. I mean, there are the number of shots and um, cuts on action and continuous motion through this is astounding. It's a really fun, weird, weird movie that has so many standout moments. And again, like that, the actors are incredible. Michelle, Michelle Yao yeah. is incredible. And the guy who plays the husband, I thought from watching the trailer, I was going to be really irritated with him as this kind of smaller man. He has a really squeaky voice. And I was like, oh, this is going to really grate on me if I have to watch this through the whole movie. He kills it. <laughs> he just destroys that role. And turns out he's, um, is it short? Short round. Short round. Is it really? From Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, he actually hasn't done a ton of no. stuff since uh, the 80s. He was also data data in um, Goonies. Uh, and yeah, like he's been kind of out of the picture for a little while, came back for this. And uh, seriously, he is so, so good. So please, please, please check this movie out. It's fucking bonkers, but in a way that I didn't like, um, what was the other movie that Daniels did uh, with, um, Daniel Radcliffe and oh, the, the gas, the, the gas, the thing. guy with the farting corpse. Oh, yeah, that was another Daniel's movie. Oh, okay, yeah, and See, I, I like that one because it's not. so quirky and so weird and yeah. so. I think part of why I liked it is 
it was the, one of the early indications that Daniel Radcliffe was very interested in mm. being a actor, not being Daniel Radcliffe, Harry Potter. True. Because, my God, he plays a farting corpse. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it, it is weird. Yeah. And it is definitely a polarizing film. A lot of people hate that movie. Yeah, I, I would <laughs> say this, this actually feels very different, but has some of those same, that same charm of their technique mm-hmm. and their yes. personality and their style in it. I also didn't realize they did the uh, turn down for what music video. So <laughs> it's all coming together for me. <laughs> Um, I feel like after Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Michelle Yeoh was supposed to become a big star. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, it didn't happen. And now, 20 years later, I'm seeing her in all sorts of things. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. I'm very thrilled for her. And I've people liked are her. praising her as the goddess that she is. Good. So. Oh, that's good. Well, I think, I'm, I think I'm inching towards Kelly and Boba Fett territory here with Halo. Oh, oh no. no. It is so strange. Hmm. Um, it's, uh, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, it may be, they just, you know what? We're going to let the video game be the video game. And we're going to do an entirely different story with the same design and the same names. Worked for the Mario brothers. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Cause they've introduced Cortana now, mm-hmm. but John, <laughs> the master chief wants nothing to do with her. And so they're, it's almost like they're starting out an antagonistic situation, which makes no sense for a super soldier Weird. who should, who is just given everything and just go, okay, that's my mission. I do it. That's my mission. I do it. Oh, I don't like this. No. It's so weird. <laughs> but, and it's just, it's just frustrating because hmm. uh, uh, I, I'll, I'm going to give it probably another episode or two, but if it doesn't, it's just not worth the time. Man, that is a bummer because I know you were really excited for this. (laughs) Yeah. So, looks cool. Looks like Halo. Sort of. This is always doesn't have his helmet on ever. It's like Judge Dredd. So weird. That's (laughs) that freaks me out. This goes back to what I was saying uh, last week about Moon Knight. I don't mind them changing something, but it's got to be better than what has already been established. Yes. Yeah. This is uh, again a reason I mentioned Boba Fett is a reminder in that they're taking. And especially in the Master Chief's case, an extremely powerful character as far as military might and stripping him of it entirely. It's, it's like he has no, he has no warrior mentality anymore. And some of that can be really cool and has been used to great effect in movies in the past where you've got like soldier or something, but this isn't starting off. This is how badass this guy is. You never get that moment mm-hmm. of how badass he is because in the first episode, he misses all the key save moments of helping, like saving all the children. Like, oh, he's going to show up and say, no, okay. And then another moment happens. Oh, he didn't save them either. So he's a shitty warrior Oh no! in the first episode, basically, because his timing is ter- terrible. And now they're pulling him down more and more. Like there's a um, emotional uh, cutoff thing in his body. So, you know, he just kills and doesn't worry about. So he has that removed. Uh, So now he's enjoying music and liking puppies and remembering memories of when he was a kid going. And if that was coupled with a character that I already felt 
needed a little bit of redemption because he was maybe being so horribly violent and brutal in the like a first episode. That might be interesting, hmm. but he's not. So it's just it's just sitting there and going nowhere. If it'd been like a really cool sci-fi story that just happens to have the Halo character in it, fine. But it's not. <laughs> so it's just like, damn, wow. man, this is a ten million an episode they're dropping on this thing. It's like. Wow. Oh. God, Vanessa, you brought up a really interesting point about this show uh, last time we talked about it, where you were saying uh, in an adaptation of something like this, you wouldn't really touch that main character because you want the people who play him to not have their their feelings while they're playing it colored by this film or anything like that. Absolutely. Have you guys read any of the reviews for Halo? Not really. No. I just read this review that was it felt like uh, this person was missing exactly what you were saying, where she was saying, you know, at last we're given a face to this guy Mm. and everything. And uh, this is so much better than say a Disney show where a different person has to keep his helmet on all the time and we don't get to see him. And all this, I was like, wow, I, I, I would guess she has not played the game. I would think so too. Yeah. Cause the uh, Mandalorian is, much better written. <laughs> yeah, and the Mandalorian <laughs> has a lot more personality. Again, Master Chief is an empty shell yeah, okay. of a character that you insert yourself into. And Cortana so, is the the like personality the person that makes him do mm-hmm. the shit he may not want to do, but she convinces this is what you need to do. Yeah, that's where the heart so, and the story really comes yeah, from. Is that their, their relationship? Yeah. Do you think perhaps they thought? Uh, we don't want to be compared with the Mandalorian, so we can't have our main character keep his helmet on all the time. Could be, who knows? Yeah, I, but it's a I, weird choice. In the first episode, which uh, you know, I didn't love and everything, but I thought we were going to get that little girl as kind of the audience. And they separate in the second episode, and she he leaves her with somebody, and this third episode ends with her teaming up with him, who's a friend of John's from when they were getting trained. Hmm. So, yeah, she's not... I thought she would be our point of view, and Mm -hmm. and the character that you guys play in the game would always be us watching. Yeah, Yeah. that would have been better. That would have been really interesting, actually, to have him as sort of the you know, the thing going on and the news in the background or whatever, or like you see him like running across doing a thing, but you're really with the story of what his actions affect. That would be pretty cool. But I, I haven't seen it, so I shouldn't judge. But. Well, you, you, you were right in what you're saying. So <laughs> <laughs> This is uh, Apple Plus is doing that, right? Uh, Paramount Amazon. Plus. Oh, is it Paramount? Okay. Plus. Yeah, I always I keep go to watch Amazon. it going, HBO? No, Paramount. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. Weird. That's interesting because I, I thought it was Apple Plus and I was surprised because they've kind of been knocking it out of the park. Yeah. Yeah. Those shows. yeah. Ted Lasso is incredible. Severance, which I talked about last week's incredible. Uh, other things that I can't remember right now. There's a bunch I haven't watched, but are very, very well regarded. And yeah. I haven't Tom watched Hanks Servant movie yet. that I love so much that you guys yeah. won't watch. I keep, it's been on my list. I, I keep wanting to. Finch. Finch. It's going to happen. <laughs> yes. Okay, why don't we uh, take a break, guys, and then we're coming back. We're talking non-MCU Marvel. Secret Wars. Marvel's supervillains are coming. Secret Wars. 
supervillains and superheroes figures, each sold separately. Here, Doctor Doom and the Doom Platoon. Magneto, Doctor Octopus. There, Captain America and the Champions of Freedom. Spider-Man and Wolverine. Secret Wars. The secret's out. Doctor Doom and Spider-Man. The Marvel Secret Wars collection. Other figures, each sold separately. From Mattel. And we're back. This was my subgenre pick, you guys. So mm-hmm. I will go first. The cool. whole point of this was that there's plenty of Marvel Cinematic Universe movies out right now. In fact, that's almost all you can see if you go <laughs> to a theater. Yeah. But prior to the MCU, there were other Marvel movies. So uh, with that in mind, I chose a real stinker. Oh. Aww. Um, but I kind of liked it still. You know me. <laughs> From 1978, Doctor Strange. This modern hospital may seem worlds apart from the days of ancient sorcerers. But for psychiatrist Stephen Strange and his beautiful patient, this is where those worlds collide. And the nightmare begins. We're here interviewing the founder of the LaFay Method, a woman who in the last few days seems to have taken at least a part of New York City by storm, so to speak. Here to tell us more about it is the force behind the LaFay Method, Morgan LaFay. Ms. LaFay, can you tell us just what it is exactly that the method does? Quite simply, it unlocks the hidden potential within you. It's a way of realizing your own powers and using them to get what you really want out of life. Pushed him over a railing in front of him. Nothing Stephen Strange learned in medical school could prepare him for an attack by an evil sorceress from the fourth dimension, a villainess who can only be stopped by an earthly master of the mystic arts. Come in. Thank you. You're telling me you're a sorcerer. I came here to try to help a patient of mine. up to Stephen Strange to take the place of the Earth's last sorcerer. Have I become the sorcerer? You should learn whose powers to respect. Come along for a fantastic adventure into the fourth dimension with Doctor Strange. This was a TV movie, so no budget and box office. Oh, except that, weirdly, I did find some box office. So it must have been released maybe in Europe or something for, but the box office is $1 million, $1 million. And I was like, mm, that seems unlikely. Yeah. So I don't know how this got on here. Uh, also no rotten to uh, rotten tomato critics, but the audience has it at 57%. I got to say that seems high. Oh dear. Written and directed by Philip DeGuerre Jr., who has three directing credits, all television episodes, but tons of writing credits for TV in the 70s and the 80s. Uh, Beretta, Bionic Woman, Twilight Zone, and he created Simon and Simon, Wiz Kids, and Air America. And of course, it is based on the character created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko for Marvel Comics. Uh, have you guys seen this TV movie? No. no. I've seen stills and I think a scene from it. It's like, oh my. <laughs> this stars Peter Hooten. <laughs> Peter Hooten. Uh, he was in Night of Terror, The Student Body, Orca, and 27 other credits in film and television. Anne-Marie Martin, tons of 70s television. Also, she was in Halloween 2, Prom Night, The Boogans, and 298 episodes of Days of Our Lives, and 
41 episodes of Sledgehammer. <laughs> and Jessica Walter, 161 credits, including Play Misty for Me, Concord, Air Force 79, Ghost in the Machine, but will always be Lucille Bluth from Arrested Development yeah. and Mallory Archer from Archer. Nice. I love this woman and was very sad when she passed away at the age of 80 in 2021. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. So this story starts in a weird dimension full of fog machines. And we meet Morgan Le Fay, who is Jessica Walters. She looks smoking hot in this movie. She's always wearing a tight dress with a slit all the way up to the hip, which is a serious comic book costume from the 70s. Yeah. And uh, she is speaking with this inhuman entity that actually looks pretty dang cool for the effects of the time. I think it's supposed to be Dormammu, although it is never mentioned. But uh, Dormammu is Strange's nemesis in the comic and the first MCU strange movie, Dr. Strange. That's who he fights at the end is Dormammu. Hmm. Um, this thing is, I think it's a puppet and it's shot in a weird um, negative colors. So it's yellow and orange and its eyes are glowing and its mouth is moving, but it's not human looking at all. And I <laughs> was weird. like, ah, I kind of dig this, whatever's cool. going on here. Hmm. And Dormammu is what I'm going to call him. And he's telling her that uh, he has been prevented from entering the earthly realm by the Sorcerer Supreme. And she has three days to kill the Sorcerer and win over his successor. Now, I don't know why the three days. There's like, <laughs> there's like no reason why it can only be three days. No, Mr. Bond. I expect you to die. See you. I'll be leaving the room. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. <laughs> for reasons. There are only three days available for her to do this. Right. Um, he has been, Dormammu is, you know, t a timeless entity and she is several hundred years old. So it seems like she should have said something like, hey, I could have used a bit more notice for this. <laughs> so she shows up on Earth and she kind of possesses this beautiful woman and uses her to push this old man that she's walking past off of a bridge and down to the street below. Ooh. Uh, and then she she unpossesses a woman, kind of leaves her to deal with the backlash of what has happened. She's like looking down off this bridge at this dead guy on the <laughs> ground. And she's like, oh my God, what have I done? And all this stuff. But the dude that she pushed off the bridge isn't dead. And he slowly gets up and brushes himself off in front of everyone and kind of shuffles off. And then when he's alone, his hand starts to glow and he kind of presses it against his side and heals himself a little and then makes his way back to his home which is a very bland building, but it does have a big skylight symbol of Dr. Strange's home on it, which I oh. like, you know, that bizarre kind of <laughs> symbol that sits on the skylight from all the comics and everything. Nice. This is really about the only thing this movie gets right. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so with the help of his assistant, Wong, the man is taken care of and we get a ton of exposition. And we find out that this guy is the Sorcerer Supreme. He knows that there is an evil force trying to kill him and he needs to find his successor soon so that this being can't come through to earth. Cut to a psychiatric hospital where we meet Dr. Stephen Strange, Hi. Peter Hooten, who looks an awful lot like Mike Brady with a mustache and is very hard to take seriously. Oh dear. Um, he, he's, I can't tell if he is being directed to act bad or if he is a bad actor um, or maybe he just hates this role. <laughs> I don't know, but he's really bad. Like from scene one. Oh no. And, uh, he also seems like a bit of an idiot. 
So we find out that the woman who pushed the sorcerer off the bridge is suffering from the psychic after effects of being possessed. And her name, Eric, is Clea from the comics. Yeah, I know. I don't remember. That. Well, I'm just saying. Okay. Oh, that I thought was... you wanted me to fill in a last name or something. Oh, no, no. Okay. It's just that <laughs> the, uh, I thought it was name. super interesting that the MCU has never dealt with Clea. Oh, yes. Okay. And mm. that this TV thing. Clea was um, Strange's, I guess you would call her his girlfriend slash um that's true they never have student had that. <laughs> oh inappropriate that's mm. that that's right i'd kind of forgotten about that character but okay yeah wow right. <laughs> so um so another thing that this thing gets right over the uh, film version <laughs> anyhow so uh the sorcerer shows up and tries to convince strange that he's the next sorcerer supreme and he resists the call of course and then there's a scene where uh lafay has a chance to kill strange in the hospital but um, she hesitates. She realizes that he's going to be the next Sorcerer Supreme, but she can't bring herself to kill him. Why, you may ask? He's just so he's dreamy. So well, hot. when asked by Dormammu <laughs> why, she confesses that she is attracted to him. Hey, oh, look at yeah. that. <laughs> and I'm like, this is some bullshit righty right here, because there's just no way that this evil, smoking hot sorceress finds anything attractive about this nerd. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> She's into uh, people that looking down, you know. She she goes, she hits, she hits below. Um, oh there is this weird scene uh, in the hospital where Strange is watching Evan Costello meet Frankenstein in like um, a uh, a den room or something, and then it cuts to um, someone else is watching the same movie at the same time at home, and it kind of jarred me. To realize how quaint that seems, because back then, uh, with only three TV stations, if you were watching something on TV, there was a good chance that there were several million other people yeah. watching exactly the same show at exactly the same time. And mm -hmm. I was like, "Oh wow, that's weird." Hmm. Um, so there's this, uh, there's some bullshit story here, a backstory of strangest folks being killed when he was 18, and it turns out that they knew he was special and they died protecting him. So he's basically Harry Potter, I guess, or something like that. But I was like, wow, that is a weird thing to to throw in here that they, you know, from from birth, basically, he was going to be the next Sorcerer Supreme. Oh, yeah. Huh. Everyone knew. Uh, so anyway, Strange has to go into the mystic realm and pull Clea out of this psychic coma that she's in. And of course, he'll have to defeat LeFay and stop the evil and finally take on the mantle of Sorcerer Supreme, which he really does with very little effort. <laughs> so they build this all up to be something really tough. And then he just does it in the span of 90 minutes. Oh, my God. <laughs> and um, it ends with him basically having all the powers of the Sorcerer Supreme and none of the knowledge. And so he must get to work defending the earth with Wong but also having an inappropriate <laughs> relationship with his patient, Clea. Oh, jeez. There's so, a surprise... I was looking this up while you were talking to him, David. There is a surprising number of still photos it, from this. <laughs> oh, it's IMDb. very available to watch. <laughs> I'm, I'm very glad that Eric showed me a picture of who you were describing because I had not put it together. And, <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, Wait, I get now, it now. He's now, no good. Okay, so... 
So get this, you're smoking hot Jessica Walter, you're yeah. you're 40, you're looking fantastic, you're sexy, you're also, uh, you know, in, in this movie, hundreds of years old, sure. and you see that guy and you're no. like, I gotta, I gotta have him. Zero percent. His, <laughs> Lights me his <laughs> like mini fro curl for days hair. No, he looks like he should be fixing my IBM. Like there's nothing else. I don't want anything else to do with that guy. So I'll just say this. This movie is not very good. It is very slow and boring in parts, but there were moments that I actually enjoyed a lot. When Strange goes into the psychic realm, the photography is this really groovy, acid-infused imagery that oh. reminded me a bit of Steve Ditko's weird art, and I thought that was oh, pretty cool. cool. And mm -hmm. I was like, I don't remember seeing anything like this in, say, the Spider-Man series or the Hulk or any of that stuff. So I was like, they're really trying something here with that. And I thought that was cool. And I really liked the uh, Dormammu creature. It was very cool. Um, it was definitely a pilot for a series and the rest of the series would be strange helping someone every episode as he slowly hones his <laughs> skills. And I don't think that's any worse of a TV trope than like the wandering hero who stops into a town to help someone yeah, new the every green episode, guy. like Hulk or Knight Rider or the littlest hobo. Remember the littlest hobo, the dog? Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The 18. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's the, the same story through all these 70s shows. Yeah. Um, it had a very low Nielsen scores and was not picked up for series, probably because it aired opposite roots. Oh, my God. Oh, geez. <laughs> Nobody so, had any ratings exactly. that night except for one thing. <laughs> I do have some trivia here. Uh, Philip DeGuerre was given an ample budget for Doctor Strange. The film was shot on the Universal sets in Los Angeles, which was um, really apparent. You, you know, if you've ever done the Universal backlot tour and you sure. walk through their town and everything, that was all of these sets that were supposed to be New York. And I was like, oh, I don't think so. Um, it went over schedule by several days filming because of the special effects, which included a lot of this era's green screen. So... Yeah. Probably better than Moonfall's green screen. I liked Moonfall's green screen. So. <laughs> um, composer Paul Chiraha produced an electronic score and interviewed in 2016 said that DeGuerre had high hopes for the film and that he was crushed when it tanked in the Nielsen ratings. In March of 1985, Stan Lee recounted the largely positive experience of working on Doctor Strange compared with the other live-action Marvel Comics adaptations under the publisher's development deal with CBS and Universal in the late 70s. And he said, I probably had the most input into that one, Doctor Strange. I've become good friends with the writer-producer, Phil DeGuerre. I was pleased with Doctor Strange and The Incredible Hulk. I think that Doctor Strange would have done much better than it did in the ratings, except that it aired opposite roots. <laughs> Those are the only experiences I've had with live-action television. Doctor Strange and The Incredible Hulk were fine. Captain America was a bit of a disappointment and <laughs> Spider-Man was a total nightmare. <laughs> oh, jeez. And finally on this, uh, Morgan Le Fay appears as Dr. Strange foe in this movie. Oddly enough, Morgan Le Fay was introduced to the modern era of Marvel Comics in Spider-Woman number two just a few months before the air date of this movie and did not encounter Dr. Strange until Avengers 240, published in 1984. And then I got some reviews here. Oh, <laughs> couple of people. This guy is uh, a different drummer three. <laughs> he gives it one out of 10 stars. Uh -oh. But then he um, titles his review. Maybe Whedon or Raimi will ultimately fix this mess. I wonder if this is the same guy from that uh, last movie I reviewed. Oh, God. Um, oh, no. Because listen to this. This review is penned in Anno Domini 2013. 
where for the first time in decades, competent (laughs) writers and producers are finally turning the Marvel vault into a steady stream of serious entertainment, albeit of uneven (laughs) quality. Oh my God. Among fanboys, it is known that one of the greatest disappointments in the Marvel library is Doctor Strange, which has never been turned into a decent film, not even once. This is 2013, by the way. (laughs) Uh, Part of the fault is the quality or lack of same in the production teams who in the past have taken on this on the project and this film done to a below average TV movie standard oh is it case in point. Um, that was all capital. So I felt like, Oh my, it was important God. that you said it. He like said that. it is awful. And part of the problem, the part no one wants to discuss is that the Dr. Strange character is not the brightest bulb in the Marvel catalog. The original character was created to be deliberately dull and morose and it did not help that the working mechanics of the mystical world in the series are, for example, several notches below Harry Potter. Uh. That's not <laughs> promising. I mean, you really should know a little about what you're writing about. And this is not <laughs> evident in the Doctor Strange series. The promise is there, but no more than that. Literary history buffs will note that in the 1970s, a fictional series came out to compete in this niche entitled Dr. Orient, and it was much more creative Ooh. and showed the promise of the core idea. Literary history. <laughs> Dr. Orient. I have, uh, I have one more. <clears throat> 10 out of 10. Loved wow. it by Brian White 530. Absolutely superb entertainment 70s style. Having a top-rated actor like John Mills just adds to the enjoyment. But the real star is the actor playing Doctor Strange, who just fits the role perfectly. (laughs) Yes, it knows its limitations, so stays within them, letting your imagination go wild. I can't understand why so few people have seen this film, although I only saw it since I stumbled upon it on VHS. And it's mine to watch many more times. Highly recommend it. (laughs) I would say that I sit somewhere in between those two guys yeah, as far as my review, but uh, <laughs> there was enough in there to keep me entertained. Nice. Nice. Um, okay. Well, I will go next. I picked a film that um, I'd kind of heard about, but I had no interest in watching uh, it or <laughs> its second one when they both flew through the theaters. And uh, that would be Ghost Rider. But I did Ghost Rider two, which is kind of two. Uh, We'll get to that in a sec. Spirit of Vengeance. This thing has no conscience. Just hunger. The rider's going to come out does he'll destroy whoever's got it coming he'll take on a new form one more powerful than he's ever known Of you. We should be. 
sauce and Yep. That's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You could drop a pin in here. Um, <laughs> I, actually, I actually don't hate this movie. Uh, you it know has what? some cool moments. I actually don't hate this movie either. Um, so this, I say it's the second one. It's more of a, really a reboot than it is a sequel. It really strays from the first one pretty drastically. Um, <laughs> it maintains one cast member, of course, and everything else from the design of the of the Ghost Rider all the way to supporting char- uh, characters and actors and style and everything about it uh, shifts. So, but um, you and I might be pretty alone in this, Kelly, because <laughs> critics put this at 18% and audience has it at 31%. Uh, however, that being said, the budget, which was somewhere between 57 and 75 million... <sighs> Whoa. Don't know where it landed in there. Um, it had a box office of 132.6 million. It was quite a success. I I, I saw it in the theater. Yeah. They got my 13 bucks. Yeah, same here. <laughs> a, a little little contribution. Um, <laughs> it is directed by a a duo of directors who um, had worked together for a little while. Mark Neville Dean and Brian Taylor. They had put out together Crank One and oh. Two. Um, as well as Gamer. Uh, then Mark went on to do, after Ghost Rider, The Vatican Tapes and Panama. And Brian Taylor went on to do Mom and Dad and the Happy TV series. So uh, I watched a lot of behind the scenes. These guys are great. They are so great. And they know exactly what they're doing and exactly how insane the situations that they found themselves were That's in. Cool. There was so much. Some kid was running around behind the scenes filming everything. And the number of times they look at them at like, uh-huh, this is great. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> they know this particular moment sucks. <laughs> Anyways, written, uh, actually it was kind of rewritten by both Mark and Brian. They had the the last hands on it, um, but it was adapted through several other people's um, versions, including Scott M. Gimple from uh, Walking Dead writer took a whack at it. Uh, <laughs> Seth Hoffman from Walking Dead and House took a whack at it. And uh, David S. Goyer from Dark City and Dark Knight fame uh, had penned the original version. Wow. Um yeah. And again, they they kind of went with the Goyer version as close as they could while still getting the rating that they had to get for it. So <laughs> starring Nicolas Cage as Johnny Blaze. He's been in 110 things. We have talked about Next and Color Out of Space on this show and probably a few other things that I'm forgetting. I'm really excited about seeing him in The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talents. Yes where he seems to look like he's going to reprise a couple of his uh, moments in film. How have we not done a Cage-centric episode? (gasps) Yeah, no shit. Jesus, we must. Okay. Um, (laughs) Karen Hines uh, plays Rourke. I might be pronouncing that wrong. Um, He's a British actor. Rourke is um, sort of the devil in this uh, particular... How come nobody did this for our devil episode? Because this is a really good devil. I thought he was just sent up there to 
Oh, wait a second. Oh, he my. is the devil. This is my problem with this. Yeah. I also get this confused with like drive angry and there's, <laughs> there's other stuff going on. That mm-hmm. little period where he did a whole bunch of... Super because the movie that I talked about on the devil was really, really, really good. <laughs> fair. All right. Fair. Um, Kieran's uh, been in 124 things. He is a British staple. Uh, you would have seen him in Harry Potter, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy. He um, starred in the TV miniseries, The Terror. Um, actually, I don't know if it is a miniseries. It might just be a series. And he was the voice of Steppenwolf in... Zack Snyder's Justice League. It was specified as uh, Zack Snyder, so I don't know if he just didn't play him in the other one or if that they rewrote it on IMDb. I don't know. Somebody got to IMDb and <laughs> did some shaking. Um, Idris Elba is also in this. Uh, he is a well-known English actor that you may have seen in Luther, Pacific Rim, Thor, The Wire, or my favorite, his unforgettable role in Star Trek Beyond. <laughs> <laughs> probably one of the worst Star Trek villains of all time and most confusing Star Trek villains of all time. Um, he plays a French guy named Moreau with a very bad French accent. He's been in 103 things. Uh, Volante, Vi- Violante Plicato is an Italian actress who plays Nadia, a Roma woman. Uh, she's been in 51 things, mostly Italian projects, but also she showed up in uh, The American and The Transporter TV series. Johnny Whitmore plays Ray Kerrigan. He is uh, kind of a henchman bad guy. He's been in 47 things, mostly smaller roles in TV movies, most recently in Blind Spot and The 100. But the reason why he stands out to me is he looks like a younger budget version of Kurt Russell, which I did enjoy. I was like, oh, look, it's a he's trying to be Kurt Russell in uh, Escape. It's very exciting. Um, and Mr. Tony Head, Giles, and Christopher Lambert both show up as priests. Uh, really random, <laughs> really, really, really random. Um, this apparently is what brought Christopher Lambert out of retirement. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the plot, uh, we start off in a, uh, monastery out in the middle of the sort of desertous, crazy looking, uh, cave structure. Uh, Moreau, which is Idris Elba, shows up on a motorcycle driving real fast. He jumps off, talks to Giles. Uh, trying to warn him of <laughs> incoming danger. The monks all look a little perplexed and are not taking him seriously. Uh, however, a woman named Nadia and her son Danny are hiding out there when, of course, a gang of dudes and thugs who are various types of henchmen invade the monastery and chase after Nadia, who manages to slip away before they find her. Then a car chase ensues with... Um, Moreau following behind, trying to help Nadia, but she does not understand that he is not an evil guy. So she's trying to run him off the road just as much as everybody else who's following her. Uh, she she does manage it. He does actually fall off the side of the road on his motorcycle, but it's okay because he has the power of slow motion. And so he can turn, <laughs> shoot bullets, and hit uh, her assailants square in their face before catching a tiny twig and not falling down the side of the cliff. Um, He knows that there is something real rough coming her way and he needs help. So he makes his way to the the hideout of one Johnny Blaze, (laughs) a man who made a bad deal with the devil and is cursed to be Ghost Rider, a demon of vengeance, or is he an angel? 
who wants to collect souls for hell. Uh, he is called up by Moreau, who goes and visits his warehouse that is conveniently nearby because he has gone into hiding trying to suppress the rider after the previous film, which I did not see. So I don't know <laughs> much about it. However, they do take the time to do a very fun animated sequence showcasing the previous film, which is really nice because you're not like given the crappy elements of it. It's all in this beautiful like cutout like pieces that are flying across the screen with like the mooning of the motorcycle butt moment highlighted and a good voiceover from Cage. It, it's a very nice, fun way of addressing the previous film. Um he does not want anything to do with this. He's been trying to get away from the rider. He wants to just live his life. He uh, shuns Moreau, but Moreau is like, yo, hey, but what if I could help you get rid of the rider and you could return to a normal life? Because maybe me and my monk pals can make that happen for you. And he's like, fuck. Okay, and immediately explodes the entire warehouse into flames as the rider takes over him. He then uh, jumps off into a motorbike uh, that is also a flame and uses his rider sense to go and find Danny. So he's on his way. Meanwhile, Nadia and Danny have been found yet again um, in a small cafe by this crew of dudes. Um, they uh, end up in another car chase where they are forced off the road by the leader of this gang, her ex-boyfriend, Ray Kerrigan. He uh, is not too thrilled with her and keeps referring to Danny as not his kid. So <laughs> mm, something happened there. Uh, <laughs> he is about to kill Nadia when who should appear but Ghost Rider. He shows up whipping a chain around, which is all hot and fiery, and keeps grabbing men and turning them into ashes as he is hungrily taking their souls. Um, Nadia uses this time to escape with Danny and uh, the rider is actually overcome by these dudes who I guess shoot him and I guess that hurts him. I don't really understand how Ghost Rider <laughs> works because they throw grenades at him and he's fine. So I'm not entirely sure what the, the rules are with him. But anyways, he wakes up in a hospital the next day um, and follows Nadia. She has lost Danny and needs to go and find him. And we get the backstory, which is that... <laughs> Um, much like Johnny, she too made a deal with the devil, but hers resulted in birthing the Antichrist, who's actually a pretty nice kid. Um, Johnny and Nadia yeah, must yeah. set off to find uh, and stop Rourke, the devil, from basically doing a special ceremony where he is going to take the kid and um, swap places with him. He's going to take over his body and begin life anew in a younger, stronger flesh, um, which will result in killing Danny. So we then set off in um, a fiery, crazy, stunt-filled, CGI-filled, pun-filled film. It's bonkers. Like, the, it's fucking bonkers. Was it two that had the horse? Uh, no. Or was that in the first one? That was in the first one, okay. Yeah, I don't remember okay. a horse. Yeah. It's pretty damn cool. <laughs> it's, um, I, you know... Okay, so this film, it's really fucking fast-paced. There's a <laughs> lot that happens very quickly. There is not, I mean, I don't even remember which fights happen when because it is so <laughs> fucking fast. The camera work and the effects are pretty fun. They're trying a lot of shit out. Some, I'm not sure, really work. There's this moment where um, 
there's an explosion and Ghost Rider is like stopped in time. And then he does a 360 turn like Matrix style, but it's us going around him and not, I don't know. And it doesn't make any <laughs> sense why we're doing it or why this has happened, but they're very proud. And I'm like, I think it might be because this film was also um, shot in a way to be released in 3D. Oh. So there were a lot of moments I was like, this is a 3D. Like Idris like being flown, thrown off of the cliffside in slow-mo. I was like, this is definitely a 3D (laughs) thing, guys. I am sure of it. Um, There's a lot of um, style to this. There's a lot of saturation. There's a lot of bad accents. Idris Elba (laughs) doing a French accent is fucking awful. Um, I can't say that the Italian woman doing the Roma accent is much better. It's also pretty bad. Um, Nick Cage, however, is Nick Cage. And there's a lot of opportunities for him to fully Nick Cage. And it is pretty glorious. I think the VO bits at first, I was like, this is bad. Um, We're actually pretty good in their badness. There's a lot of good in its badness in this film. (laughs) It is not a good film. It's a bad film, but it is also a good film. I don't know how to marry this in my brain. I would be fascinated to take Vanessa from the show we had to air a couple weeks ago and have you see what you thought of it versus the way you are now that now that you've been integrated into our enjoyment of bad films. I think she would have hated it. Maybe. I, he, <laughs> I, I can't say because the evolution <laughs> process I am currently living. So I, I really can't enjoy. tell you. Enjoy. I, you know, it was fun. It's been it was a pretty fucking fun film all around. Um, the the one other shout out I want to give to this also is there's uh, the Ray Kerrigan, Kurt Russell knockoff dude who you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. We know who you are. We know what you are. Blah, blah, blah. Get through it. They turn him into this like decay monster partway through. It's so good. So everything he touches decays. And it's such a great awful superpower to have because every time he touches somebody, their skin and their bone and their shit just just falls off and like molds. And it's just so freaky and interesting and unique. The trivia, a lot of the stuff I did find by watching the behind the scenes and just kind of made notes. Um, How did you get the behind the scenes stuff? Uh my partner has this on Blu-ray. I was afraid you were going to say this. <laughs> very, like uh, very love, loving this film and has wanted me to do it for a long time. <laughs> it's been waiting. The number of times he has offered this up as an option when it has been wildly inappropriate <laughs> is pretty frequent. So glad to get this one knocked out of the park. Nice. Um, but yeah, so immediately he made me watch all of the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, so hours, <laughs> hours of content. This is uh, the second film under the Ma- Marvel Knights banner. The first one was The Punisher War Zone. Yeah. Uh, the way in which this kind of came about, uh, the idea of this, Nick Cage was on the junket for the first film. Uh, and he went, of course, he was in England and decided to stop into Westminster Abbey on a lunch break. He kind of hung out, sat down during the, the uh, I think there was a, a mass in session and a priest saw him and called him over to sit with him so that he could see the ceremony up close. And uh, he said, you know, the church could use someone like you. And that gave Nick Cage an idea and he ran with it. (laughs) That is what he took away from that interaction. Um, The first film was definitely more of a kid's movie. This one was rebooted to be much darker 
Um, everyone on the behind the scenes keeps talking about how they really like the first one. They definitely like it. <laughs> it was a pretty good movie. We just were taking it in a different direction. But the first one was very good. Like literally everyone. It's very Kool-Aid, uh, drinking the Kool-Aid. Uh, the directors say that they would have loved to use Nick Cage for Crank, but they could not afford him. Um, he, they also kept talking about how he has this really weird method to his madness, how he actually doesn't do his freakout scenes just randomly. Every single time he does a huge, weird freakout acting extravaganza, he actually has these really specific, thoughtful reasons he's implanted for doing them, which I thought was pretty fun. A lot of it was inspired um, slash use parts from the Goyer script, but it was insanely R-rated. Um, so they added in some Europe and some religion, and they really hated having to make it PG-13. Uh, so they tried to use a lot of tongue-in-cheek cheek, uh, stuff to keep it fun, at least. Um, they also had to simplify the story and rewrote it in essentially a month. I don't know what the hurry up and do this was, but I think the rights were about to cross over. So they had one more opportunity. So uh, everything about pre-pro and production was rushed to hell. It was shot in Romania. So it had a lot of problems that I discussed um, happened to the movie The Church a couple weeks back. Uh. It took forever. It was post-communist, so things might happen or might never happen. Um, they had a location scouted out. This was really cool, big, um, like, I want to say it was like a warehouse, but it was like a giant infrastructure, like several blocks in size. And they were like, okay, we're going to use this section. So if you guys could not plow this down, because they're like slowly uh, killing the area, um, to build something new. They're like, if you could just leave this, we are going to be back in a few weeks, please. And every time they went back, more and more of their set was gone. And they were like, <laughs> no, please stop destroying this. And they're like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. We'll leave it. We'll leave it. Come back. It's gone. They're like, oh God, you got the, everything. So by the time they went to shoot, it, it, it was really like one doorway that they were able to use <laughs> out of this entire place. They were actually, you know what? I'm sorry. They didn't end up filming there at all because they, they said it was probably for the best they didn't end up filming there because it turned out to be super toxic from uh, leftover chemicals of, oh. I don't know if it was a Chernobyl situation or what, but they were like, we should not have been there regardless. Um, they made it for about one third, somewhere between one third to one half of the budget of the first film, which is why they shot in Romania. Uh, it was the only way that they could shoot it and make it work. There was a lot of practical stuff done to save money. Um, a lot and a lot, lot of practical. In fact, that motorcycle with Idris Elba going off the side of the cliff was shot with them throwing him off the side of a oh. cliff. Like they showed um, the director attaching himself uh, to behind the Idris so he could watch the monitor in like real time. It was weird. It was crazy. And so they're like being thrown off the side together while strapped to a helicopter and like swinging around. It was bonkers. <laughs> that seems like an extra element of danger that's unnecessary. <laughs> you know, I, agree. <laughs> I, I think so. But these guys, I mean, they make crank. Like, what are you going to oh, do? Yeah. Like, that's who they are. The ghost skull was significantly redesigned for the second movie. It went from this sort of white CGI thing to black with flecks of um, like embers and pieces of it floating off at all times. It looks really good, as does the expressions of the skull. Um, in the first film, they used a, a stand-in to do all of the Ghost Rider stuff because you wouldn't see Nick Cage's face. Right. And they were like, 
nope, we're going to make Nick Cage do all of it. And so he would show up on set as the ghostwriter and apparently would not talk to anybody, acted really fucking weird. Um, they had the makeup where it was like a bunch of little pieces of sticky on his face and a black, just blacked out. And they give him these black contact lenses. So he looked really freaking weird. And um, they then used the CGI skull to really mimic what he was doing with his face. So he actually did super, a lot of his acting made it all the way through the film. Um, Eva Mendes turned down uh, the option to reprise her role. Peter Fonda was also offered to come back. And he, after reading the first five pages, he flat out refused. <laughs> uh, Christopher Lambert was required to wear heavy makeup that was tattoos covering his entire head and skull. It took so long to do that he just said, don't take it off. And he kept it for the entirety of filming. Um <laughs> They were forced to do some 3D. So instead of choosing to film specific in, specifically in 3D, they did a conversion effect because they just didn't want to deal with it. They wanted to do a lot of stuff in real time in the way that they wanted to and not be forced into um, specific shot sizes. Uh, so that's why it looks better than probably most 3D films uh, do. Nick Cage's son did some of the live hell voices that come out of Ghost Rider's gaping maw. So whenever Ghost Rider opens his mouth, a lot of strange sounds come out. One of those is his son. <laughs> and last but not least, after this film, um, the live action film rights for Ghost Rider went back to Marvel Studios. I, I don't think this is a very good movie, but right. I did like it. And I really loved the way he looked in this with yeah. the oily yeah. smoke coming off of him and everything. I thought it was really cool looking. That is not what he looked like in the first movie. <laughs> no. Yeah. I saw a couple of stills from the first movie and I was really happy that this was the one I watched. Yeah. <laughs> You're making me kind of want to watch this again. So it's pretty fun. It was pretty fun. I think, you know, especially if you're like sick or I don't know, high or I don't know. So it, I think like this is a really feel good film that requires very little thinking. <laughs> That'll work. All right. So much, 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 much smaller budget film. I don't know the budget because it's, you know, it's a made for TV movie because it's 1988's The Incredible Hulk Returns. Whoa. Oh, uh, yeah. When David Banner met Maggie Shaw, it was the love they'd both been looking for. But she didn't know his secret. She didn't know that his danger would become her danger. Their life together was threatened. David Banner had been pushed too far. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. He's mean and green, and after six years, the Hulk will face his greatest challenge ever, because this time, he's fighting for love. Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno are the Incredible Hulk in The Incredible Hulk Returns. This has uh, Rotten Tomatoes of 50 from the critics and 41 from the crowd. Sure. <laughs> it's, I think it's, for what it is, I think it's a little better than that. If it was a Marvel movie released in the theaters now, this is way too high. This is directed by Nicholas Coria, who did Airwolf. Three episodes of the original Hulk TV series. Um, Bill Bixby is listed as Bixby is listed as or uncredited in the original, but is now given some directing credit to it. He did thirty episodes of Blossom, eight episodes of Sledgehammer, and more than fifteen different series with multiple episodes directed. I had no idea he directed so much, but he wow. really did a lot of television. Uh, you know, based on Stanley and all that stuff, but written by Nicholas Cora, who wrote 28 episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger, Star Trek Voyager, yeah. two episodes of Deep Space Nine, 
and 12 episodes of the original Hulk. Incredible Hulk show. Stars Bill Bixby, who is in multiple Night Gallery episodes, 107 episodes of My Favorite Martian, six episodes of The Joey Bishop Show, and tons more. I did not know there was a Joey Bishop show. I bet you did. I did. <laughs> uh, Lou Ferrigno. He's been in a ton of stuff. Ten episodes of The Offer, uh, Sinbad and the Seven Seas, and God Spoke. Eighteen episodes of The King of Queens. Eric Kramer, 98 episodes of Good Luck, Charlie. And 107 episodes of who's one of those walk-on guys. If there's a movie in the 70s or 80s, he's probably in it for a TV show. Uh, Jack Colvin, 82 episodes of The Incredible Hulk and all the TV. He's in even more episodes of television. Wow. Uh, Lee Purcell from Valley Girl, Stir, Stir Crazy, Murder, She Wrote, and still acting. Well, okay. So it opens with the opening credits. It's the same opening credits, I believe, from the original TV show. Nice. And uh, so I was going, oh, I recognize this music. And of course, it's got the line, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. That's right. <laughs> have you ever seen the I Incredible have not. TV show? Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the shows, the episodes are basically all the same, but the, the movies were a little different. Uh, originally, in my notes, accidentally wrote, of course, Bruce Banner. Like, oh, no, no, it's David Banner. Is it a rights problem or something? They didn't want to name him Bruce because Bruce of Bruce. was a well, very popular gay name. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, all right. Wait. That so, is the truth. In the 70s, they changed it to David. Less gay. Apparently. All right. Sure. <laughs> so, David Banner wakes up in a wonderful beach house with his lovely girlfriend. All is happy and kind of naughty with his line of, you smell delicious and taste pretty good, too. Whoa. <laughs> like, um, Damn. <laughs> yeah. After 9 p.m., maybe? <laughs> so, and they also state that um, he doesn't say directly what it is. He just says it's been two years since he's had an incident of his horrible monster. There's a group of scientists working on something they swear will never be used as a weapon. Of course, David Banner's working, <laughs> wrote Bruce again. <laughs> David <laughs> Banner is working on, um, it's a gamma ray thing. So he's hoping it will cure him of the, yeah, Gamma. And uh, there's the little montage of him doing all the scientific stuff, which looks kind of hilarious, except they actually used a, a CD disc Ooh. for his to record his information to. Wow. So, you know, it was super cutting edge in 1988. Um, while he's dictating, someone breaks in. Who could it be? Why, it's Donald Blake. Is this the one where Thor shows yes. us? <laughs> and this is, now, for those of you who don't know, in not all, but some of the Thor comics, there's a Dr. Blake who was Thor, but would carry around like a walking stick and slam it on the ground and he'd become Thor. They don't do that here. This is It's done differently. But this is, he is, I don't remember if this is, I'm sure this wasn't true in the Thor things, but in this he is, an old student of Banner. So he immediately recognizes that this is not David. What's the name? He uses a false name, of course. It's like David Burners. Yeah, it's like always that. really close to his original <laughs> name. I'm like, that's no way to get people off your trail. That's right. So he immediately recognizes him as this teacher he knows. So he goes on to this big story about how um, 
he's joined uh, archaeological groups who are going to find things and they go to the Norse lands and mm -hmm. climb this footage of very strong, stark uh, stock footage of people climbing mountains. <laughs> but they did manage to then take that stock footage and dress the guy into the same outfits, at least. Oh. So that's nice. So when he enters the cave at the top of the mountain, <laughs> he's at least dressed correctly. Um, where he discovers the crypt of Thor. And it's all written, the, all the words are written in Norse. And it's like, somehow I was able to read it. I don't know why. And he opens up and pulls out this really sad little excuse for Thor's hammer. <laughs> it looks like a slightly, you know, like you, there's the mini sledgehammers. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they built it off of one of those. Oh. Um, but in this, he doesn't, he's not Thor, but with this hammer, he can summon Thor by yelling Odin for some reason. Oh. <laughs> so he yells Odin and Thor Daddy. shows up. <laughs> yeah. Daddy issues. So, of course, we now have to have Thor show up and what's going to happen to Banner? Oh, Hulk's going to show up. Got to Hulk out. That's right. And they get into a big old fight and Thor's all excited about it because it's a worthy opponent. And that was fun. The Hulk's anger is kind of funny to watch because it's basically Lou standing there flexing and growling. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to Thor. Oh, this looks like... Gonna do anything? Come on, man. Uh, and the villain has shown up. It's Tim Thomerson, Jack Death from Trancers. Of course. <laughs> I didn't notice him in the original credits, but as soon as he popped up, it's like, oh, <laughs> I know who that is. So there's something. This is a made for TV movie. It's it is fun, but all this complicated backstory they try to have, like there's somebody at the at the place Bruce's working that is making a deal with people to steal the gear for some reason. So instead of him just stealing it himself, he hires these two goon guys to break in and steal, but it doesn't go well because they happen to, you know, they run into Hulk. <laughs> so, so they decide, Oh, this is you know, David Banner. That's his, that's his name on the show. So they, then now they need to figure out what to do next. But since this was a pilot, much like Doctor Strange, this was supposed to be a pilot episode for Thor. Uh, what? <laughs> I remember Thor looked like shit in this. Just he's, basically a big Norseman, right? Yeah, With yeah. a furry outfit. He's got the horn. I mean, he doesn't look like Thor yeah. at all. He, but, uh, and then, but he wants to go out and he must party and drink. So yeah. <laughs> him and uh, Daniel go to a biker bar, of course. Where he immediately, Thor is immediately loved by everybody and is yeah. drinking pitchers of beer instead of things and uh, dances with people and gets in an arm wrestling match. But he wins. But those that guy he beat, they love each other. Ah, this is fun, isn't it? Until, of course, somebody picks on David. And then there's just a brief moment of him punching the crap out of somebody, but that, that ends real quick. But uh, so the whole thing is basically let's make Thor a lot of fun. Uh... So you, know, you want to see more of him. The guy playing him is likable enough. It's good. It's not. I can see why it didn't get picked up because it is very vanilla. Yeah. And there is, of course, now the lady that I mentioned at the beginning is a very 80s 8 lady where she comes in as a plot device as needed because they decide, well, we can't get into the science place to steal this stuff. Let's kidnap her. Well, 
And there's a moment that had my, my Marvel nerd moment go, come on. So they grab Maggie. They run outside. Thor and Hulk are there. They get in a helicopter. Thor and Hulk grab the helicopter. But the helicopter shakes both of them off and wow. is able to fly away. I'm going, eh, that, that, that hits my nar- Marvel nerd moment <laughs> there. I think the Hulk alone could have stopped that. I think Thor alone could have stopped that. And uh, let's see. Where was I? The scene. Let's see. You got the reporters showing up because you have to have the reporter from the original Hulk show show up and thinks, of course, oh, somebody reported a large green person. I'm here to find them. Will he rescue his girlfriend? Will the cure work? Tune in to find out. This is also incredibly easy to find. I rented it on uh, Amazon Prime, I believe, for like $2. It is well worth $2 if you are a Marvel, if you want to really dive into Marvel. It is fun. Although I was a little disappointed because I wanted to watch because of the Thor. I was like, I've never seen the one with Thor. I didn't realize there's one with freaking Daredevil. Yeah. Which I probably would have picked otherwise. The Trial of the Incredible Hulk. But uh, I'm curious to see their portrayal of Daredevil, so I'll I'll be checking that out at some point. (laughs) Surprisingly similar to the first couple of episodes of the Netflix Daredevil. Wow. A A black costume with just kind of a bandana over his head and everything. Ah, That's awesome. We'll have to check that one out. Uh, Let's see. And of course, it gets to the end. Sad Hulk music. You know, I, I won't I won't answer all the questions, but I will say it does end like every episode of the TV show. Off goes Banner. This doesn't end with like his his wife dying or anything, does it? Okay. This woman is portrayed as his girlfriend, not okay. as a wife. So that may have happened previously. This is the Lonely Man theme as composed by Joe Harnell, who's a Grammy winning composer for many, many years. This is a weird thing. I don't know if it's true, but it's bizarre enough that I felt I should mention it. This two TV movie takes place on Earth 400,005 version of the Marvel Universe. Oh, okay. So not part one of the 616 universe. <laughs> exactly. Good Lord. Fucking nerds. <laughs> I'd love to see who came up with that. If they actually did that or they just pounded on a keyboard. <laughs> if they ever do a multiverse of Hulks. That would be pretty special. Be See, this, this was verse. <laughs> yeah. This was Thor's live action debut. I would say it was relatively unsuccessful, not because of the guy playing him, because he's actually fun. But it just uh, it like you said, it doesn't look like Thor. Yeah. Lou Ferrino wore a new wig for this one. Yay! <laughs> they <laughs> splashed right. out. Well, they did that because his hearing problems had gotten worse. And they wanted a, the new wig to better hide his um, uh, hearing aids. Carl Serfrillo, or you say that last name, who played um, one of the characters, would go on to be the first actor to play Ben Grimm in the unreleased Fantastic Four movie, oh. which I did consider doing because that is, I haven't seen it. I've You still haven't seen it? Oh, oh but I've heard watching. that great making of stuff on the projection booth and stuff. And in the grand tradition of what Kelly started doing, I thought I'd do a couple... Very brief reviews. Oh, cool. This one from uh, Daniel H. The DVD jacket looked like it was in a flood or beer was spilled on it. One star. (laughs) That's right. One star. And Tina M. Also one star. Not exactly what I was looking for. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong Hulk. All caps. (laughs) 
that was the Incredible Hulk Returns, and it was fun. Hey, what a fun episode this yeah. was, guys. I kind of want to watch that Incredible Hulk movie now, too. Yeah. <laughs> I believe, Eric, it is your pick oh, for the next right. subgenre. Yes, it is. So, in the grand tradition of doing movies about random weird shit that happens in a movie, for some reason, Raw popped into my head and the absolutely insane party scenes that happened in that movie. And let's do a party scene movie. Something kind of crazy, you know, like Freddy 2 or Raw or any of those where it's it's not just a little get-together, but it's something goofy and it uh, over-the-top is happening. So it has to be kind of like a, a part of the plot, like yeah. not just... Or at least a kill, kind of heavy kill moment if it's a horror film or yeah. Okay. Man, I can't believe I... Blew my party load on, what was that monkey movie? Where, uh, <laughs> the Primal Rage? Yeah, that was a party. Man. You guys well, might just get part two of my Primal Rage. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> um, that means this is the part where we thank everybody for participating in the yes. Value for Value model. Cannot thank you enough for liking and sharing posts. Uh, leaving reviews, that's always yeah. welcome. Thank you very much for that. And if Challenge you feel like you me. need to send us money, <laughs> man, can't can't even believe that there are people that do this. And we love it. Yeah, thank yeah, you. thank it's you amazing. so much. You can find us on a don't buy or buy a don't buy a don't coffee. Don't buy a coffee. <laughs> don't buy me a coffee. coffee or buy, buy me, me a pizza. pizza. In case. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, anything else, guys? Before we head out, nah. Just excited to see um, party movies. <laughs> party. Party. <laughs> All right, guys, then we will be back in one week and we are talking party. Brain Geons Radio is artisanal quality podcasting, handcrafted with all natural ingredients, and edited to perfection by Eric Morgret. Our blistering theme song is Strange Eons Part 1 by the band Nightshade and is used with permission. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider dropping a positive review on Apple Podcasts. I obviously know nothing. <laughs>